0: Hello, and welcome to Refi Radio's Innovations in Real Estate. I'm your host, Will Moyo. In partnership with Park Madison Partners, Real Estate Fund Intelligence is bringing you monthly discussions with some of the real estate industry's most innovative voices. On this month's show, Nancy Lachine, Park Madison's founder and managing partner, speaks to Christy Fields, Managing Principal and Head of Real Estate Portfolio Solutions at Makita Investment Group, about how real estate managers and investors are responding to the COVID-19 pandemic and subsequent economic disruption.
1: Thank you, Will. Hello everyone, and thank you for joining us. This is Nancy Lachine, and I'm here on Zoom with Christy Fields. First and foremost, we hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. For many of us, uh, we're coming up on two months of lockdown and the world has changed so much in such a short period of time. Christy, we're really thankful to have you with us this month to talk about the changes and the trends that you're seeing across the real estate industry.
2: Well, thank you, Nancy. It's nice to be here with you today.
1: So, Makita is an investment consulting firm. Um, you've been in business since 1978. Um, today, Makita has about $1.3 trillion of assets under advisement across private equity, private debt, timber, hedge funds, infrastructure, and real estate. Um, I think that makes you one of the largest consulting firms in the industry that remains independent and employee-owned. Is that right?
2: I believe you're correct. We are indeed 100% uh, independently owned by 61
1: active employee shareholders today. And well, we've known each other for a long time um, through different job incarnations. Um, You joined Makeda, I think, following the firm's merger with Pension Consulting Alliance, which happened last year. Um, and I think you've been in consulting for at least 20 years, um, to my recollection. So, is that right? Yeah,
2: if I, I think I get to that point where I just do the 20 with a little plus in the corner. <laughs> um, I started with PCA in 1998, um, and prior to that, um, I was a consultant in the Honolulu office of Coopers and Lybrand, which is now Price Waterhouse Coopers. So, uh, been
1: a consultant my whole career.
2: Um, and you were recently elected
1: to the board of directors of the Pension Real Estate Association. Congratulations! Thank you. Um, so, in your current capacity, you have a window onto uh, some of the largest real estate investors and managers in the industry, and also a window onto a wide range of the responses to COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic. So, it would be great if you could just um, help introduce, you know, what you're doing today and what your client base looks like for for our listeners.
2: Right. Well, the firm has a very diverse client base, Um, obviously more so since the merger. We had very complementary client bases. Uh, So today we have a a strong mix of both public and private pension plans of various sizes, Taft-Hartley plans, um, and endowment and foundations. So um, as you said, uh, a wide wide range of uh, clients.
1: That's great. So why don't we spend um, the time that we have talking about um, maybe organize things into three sections. Um, First, what you're seeing and hearing from your clients now, um, and then your expectation of how this is going to unfold over the next few quarters in the year. And then I'd love to pick your brain. I know our listeners would be interested in hearing your thoughts about best practices from managers that you're observing now. So starting with just what's happening right now, um, seven weeks into working from home, social distancing, only essential businesses open. Um, of course, it's only 45 days, feels like a lifetime. Um, but what, what are your clients doing and what questions are the CIOs, the chief investment officers, and the board's asking of the real estate officers now?
2: Well, I think it kind of falls into three categories. It's really kind of pause, um, protect and prepare, I would say. So we did manage to finish one or two uh, new investment commitments kind of early on uh, that that were clearly very close to the finish line, but really since then, you know, people have just taken a deep breath and put their pencils down um, and um, are, you know, really just continuing to have conversations and collect data and in search of um, kind of better visibility around what's happening and and how the impacts of this pandemic are going to roll through uh, their real estate portfolios. On the protect side, certainly a fair number of our clients access real estate um, through separate accounts as well as commingled funds and um, efforts there have been to um, really uh, increase the frequency of communications with those partners, update information on um, the properties held in those accounts um, and uh, you know try and anticipate as much as possible where kind of the nearer term pain points may emerge and what if any additional capital might be needed to protect assets. And then finally, kind of, you know, doing a little preparing. Um, Thankfully, people are in a lot better shape. You know, everything, fundamentals were strong coming into this. And, uh, you know, most investors are not needing to look to their private market allocations for liquidity. And so um, much different than 11 years ago, uh, we've got investors who are indeed looking to not only be defensive but potentially pivot to an offensive stance um, as we get further through this
1: well that's that's very encouraging comment. Look forward to maybe talking about that a little bit later in the in the podcast. Sure Why don't we start talking more uh start talking about market valuations um because I think that's that's kind of where we're all starting with and March 31 valuations presented a tricky balancing act for managers. Um, There was, you know, there was not a lot of specific data that appraisers could use to determine um, the March valuation. So many of those numbers came in with a material uncertainty clause and um, it, it, it created issues for open end funds, for closed end funds. But I think generally also just questions about, you know, for boards of where do we stand right now, obviously very different than, you know, the public markets. What, what are you seeing and what, what's of concern or of interest to your clients?
2: Yeah, that's a tough one, Nancy. I wish I had a, (laughs) I wish I
1: had all the answers for
2: you and your audience. Um, We are, you know, we don't know. And I just, I don't know that anybody knows right now. So I, i um I can see both sides of um the valuation dilemmas, right? We've got um, particularly in the open end fund space where you've got um, queues developing and gating happening. Um, you know it's I think investors would like to um, take their medicine earlier if possible, um understanding that those that did that historically tended to fare better in the recovery. But, you know, as you mentioned, just a dearth of of um, of concrete information to you know to make those valuation decisions, right? Um, I, I think appraisers will stay with their processes and and no one will know how appraisers will value properties two months from now, probably including the appraisers themselves. So um, I think it is interesting times, and uh, I think we're all just kind of gathering the data as it becomes available week to week to try and piece together um perspectives on valuation but i I think um there's still a lot more that we don't know about how real estate values will be impacted and certainly duration is you know the thing that i think will will be the largest driver of of valuation you know the longer this lasts certainly the more painful it will be i mean that's just stating the obvious but um that's yeah, where we no, are these absolutely. days. <laughs> absolutely.
1: The um you know the industry is more mature now than it was, you know, eleven years ago. Open end funds I think have learned a lot. I, I understand that about a third of the Odyssey funds threw up gates on March thirty one. Yep. Um, and others allowed for some redemptions and investments at the stated NAV. And, you know, clearly there's a need to thread the needle between liquidity of an note op- for open end fund investors and then the ability to have a fair net asset value that's reflective of the market. And as you, you know, so eloquently said, nobody really knows where the market is right now. Um, Have you taken a position on that or do you, do you have a a view as to, you know, whether it was right to put up gates or whether um, there should be full liquidity or or we should just freeze everything. Like, for example, in Europe, as I understand it um, there's a different, Process and there's more. The, the appraisers go with RIC standards, and everyone's thrown up a gate, and there is no quarterly redemption right now. Yeah. We've got this this mixture here in the U.S. Um, so, do you, do you have a view of what one is right or wrong, or is it truly just open and fund by fund?
2: I think it's a reasonable um, decision to you know to put these gates in place. I, I just think it's it's too difficult a job to appropriately balance the needs of different investors with different, you know, uh, objectives or, or um, desires to, uh, for liquidity. So, you know, I, I think, I, I think that decision is, is completely reasonable um, in times like this, where it's, you know, putting a pin in an valuation of these portfolios is just, um, it is just impossible really um you know and we have a secondary market too that's more um, mature uh, to your point so I, I think there are other mechanisms that people who you know really need to um exit these funds uh, for whatever reason um can access um you know we generally have um counseled clients to um, accept for a few exceptions to you know just stay the course you know, I, I, think, I think it would be generally a mistake for people who aren't needing, um, you know, immediate liquidity to kind of crystallize losses at this point um, in these funds that, you know, as we always preach, are very uh, long-term investment vehicles that are focused on, you know, providing income and diversification.
1: Well, thank you for answering that. I, one of the one of the privileges of being having this conversation is asking questions that everybody wants to ask, but they're kind of I know they're really putting you on the spot. So I appreciate your, your coming down on that one. So let's talk about closed-end funds. This is a thorny problem. We've people have been asking us um, kind of how we see this. So, so with respect to closed-end funds, well, so stepping back throughout this last cycle, C deals have often been provide have given fundraising momentum. For real estate managers because they reduce the blind pool risks and they give investors early concrete examples of a funds investment strategy and immediate access to yield Um, but now the question over property valuations throws a little bit of a wrench in that dynamic so typically with standard fund terms new investors can be admitted at cost plus a preferred return right um but that's a much tougher sell if the prospective LP suspects evaluations are due for a markdown. So, what would you advise, or what have you advised, closed-end fund managers who are partially through a fundraise where they've invested a material amount of the seed assets pre-COVID? And have you seen any um, creative solutions to the problem that satisfy both the existing investors and the new investor and the manager?
2: Yeah, it's amazing how quickly that dynamic changed, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it really felt like
2: overnight. People um, went from, you know, enjoying the visibility into the strategy with the seed assets to not wanting anything to do with that. So, um, you know, I'm sympathetic to managers who are caught kind of at that point in their fundraising. Uh, cycle, but I think it became a pretty bright line. We've seen a couple different um, approaches to it, but all towards the end result of, um, you know, putting a a, a very um, clear uh, delineation between capital raised and invested um, prior to COVID, and then capital raised and to be invested kind of post-COVID, whether that was, you know, closing the fund and opening another, you know, starting a new fund or um, what have you, but that that happened pretty quickly.
1: So is it fair to do that to the initial investors to just close the fund down and then say, okay, we're going to start again?
2: Ooh, fair is mean, a that's loaded question. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's the issue. That, right? No fair.
1: That's but, but you know, are, I mean, mean, these are your uh, best investors, right? They're the ones who trusted you. They came in first. They were right. you know, They were your lead investors. Um, I mean, we the things that we've been thinking about, for example, and and we've seen, uh, haven't seen it yet, obviously, in this cycle is creating, um, say, a B-sleeve, but giving right. those early yep. investors uh, preferred pricing in the B-sleeve or creating yep. a co-investment sleeve so that um, certain investors can, you know, uh, on the subsequent deals, um, they would come in to a uh, different percentage or something like that.
2: Yeah, right. I've seen the same. I think that's an appropriate response as well. Um, you know, at the end of the day, though, this is um, – you know this is investing, and we, nobody has um, you know perfect knowledge or control over events like these and um, you know it's it's not uh, I think you know hopefully we're all adults in the room and understand that these things are outside the control of um, you know these investment managers, and everyone has to respond in con. I think the way the managers um, communicate and manage the relationships is you know comes to the comes to the front. Um, with respect to, you know, accommodating different investors and managing through these things well.
1: Trust is everything, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Um,
1: So let's, you you mentioned that you think that there will come a time when um, investors will start to think about what else to do this year. Do you think investors will continue to make commitments to new managers this year? There's been a little bit of press from one of your large clients and and then some other smaller clients saying, they're only going to invest with existing managers because it will um, make the due diligence process that much easier because they may have travel restrictions. Do you see that happen? Is that is that going to be the norm, or um, will investors be able? Do you think to accommodate new managers? And if so, will they will they learn how to do due diligence virtually, or will they need to wait until travel restrictions are lifted.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be um, mixed, Nancy. I think some of the some of our clients who have very large, well diversified real estate portfolios, and you know have a stable of um, you know a fairly large number of of partners, can can rely on those partners to help them um, assess opportunities as, as they may arise um, out of these circumstances without having to, you know, go through a full um, new underwriting and a get-to-know-you process, right? So they're, they are advantaged at, from that perspective. Um, other clients with maybe um, smaller programs or a fewer number of managers who, you know, may not collectively cover the universe of uh, potential opportunities may have to consider um, adding um, a new strategy or a new uh, relationship. Um, So I think we'll just kind of take those as they come. For sure, the, the due diligence is a challenge. We are still proceeding with getting to know managers and understanding potential new fundraisers and strategies. But you know, we just nobody's doing the on-sites and, and that kind of thing. We, we've done some virtual meetings for sure, for re-ups primarily. I, I think you know we're all still kind of trying to figure out how that will work. Um, I, I think there will be um, additional capital committed this year, but I don't really know what that looks like at this point.
1: right. Right, yeah. If you did, I'd really want to know. Yeah. Uh, right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd have to be paying but, me for this. <laughs>
1: but we've been, we've been having the conversation in, internally as to whether um due diligence on a new manager, obviously existing managers is much easier, but if due diligence on a new manager could happen this if this could be the the fulcrum for it to start ha- to happen virtually, where there wouldn't be a need to actually physically travel to somebody's offices, but it could all be done by Zoom. It's hard to fathom because we haven't ever seen that in this business. Right. Um, so it'll be a really interesting place to to watch. Um, and, do you, and do
2: you feel, um, do you guys have conviction that you think you can do that adequately?
1: I think in distressed real estate debt, um, it can be done,
2: yeah.
1: um, especially if the manager is well known and large enough. Um, but because there are no assets that you need to go see. It's mm-hmm. really just a question of, can you get comfort with the team, the track record and the people? Um, and also distressed debt tends to have a shorter um, life cycle. Yeah. So it, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's just, I think it's easier. Um, are there certain, you know, one or two other asset types that um, that are so in demand that we might be able to accomplish a a new manager raise without visits. I have a couple of ideas. Stay tuned. We're working on that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Super.
2: Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when I think about that, I think what comes um, comes to mind is just, you know, you're really going to increase the amount of um, triangulation through people, you know, and references and all that kind of thing, right. To kind of supplement um, the virtual diligence.
1: Right. Yeah. Which frankly is, so important anyway and often um, sometimes overlooked. Um, So, yeah, it's really important. And also people have more time to answer your phone calls right now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. A high benefit. Um, Staying on the fund topic, you know, one of the other things we've been talking about is historically um, investors have been trying to limit the use of investor note facilities for the fund. Um, They actually have wanted their capital drawn. And we're starting to hear from some investors who are encouraging um, the opposite behavior; they're preferring to use the line and preserve right. cash. Right. Um, do you want to weigh in on that?
2: You know, I don't. I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here, and I, I, I actually feel for um, some of the investment managers who are kind of stuck in the middle with investors um, on both sides of that um, of that topic and are trying to then, you know, navigate their investor relations around those issues. Um, I, I've generally thought that you, uh, the easiest answer is to stick with your process and stick with your documents, um, if, unless you've got consensus among your investor base to do that. It's just, you know, it gets thorny really
1: fast. Talk for a moment about global portfolios because you have some very large clients who have very large global portfolios. It may be early to say anything about this, but are you seeing any diversification benefits at this point from the global portfolio or is it? A little bit like the GFC when correlations converged.
2: Yeah, I think it's so. It's still so early to tell if you know. There, you're really. We're really going to get diversification benefits out of this. um, Out of this situation, my instinct says it's more like the GFC. Just given that this pandemic is global and you know everyone, all economies are being impacted. Um, labor forces—all labor forces—are being impacted. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting data to kind of look back on. But um, I, I, I couldn't, with conviction, tell you um, that that's happening right now.
1: Yeah. No. And it may actually really play out in how people come out of this. You know, and whether there's a rebound or you know whether right what, what the what the the angle of recovery looks like. Correct. So let's, um, let's go on to best practices. Um, Christy, you're known for giving you know, honest advice. What are you seeing as best-in-class practices for managers during this crisis?
2: Well, some, I've been really impressed with a handful of managers who are just nailing the communication um, and transparency. They're doing it with the right frequency. They're doing it with um, you know, the right prioritization of you know what they need to be focused on um which in most cases is their people and their tenants um and as a result their you know their portfolio will follow and you know they're just doing it with the right amount of kind of transparency and visibility into what they're really facing and so that's um you know that's kind of an immediate um observation around um you know how how different managers are um are reacting to this. I think those managers too generally um, come from um, organizations that just are, are inherently more resilient um, because of the strength of their cultures and their focus on um, people and process and purpose. Right. Um, so that's been outstanding, and c- certainly, um, you know, it's been interesting. I, I, I might, I might. Conclude that some of the vertically op, uh, vertically integrated managers are somewhat advantaged in this um, in this situation, just because you know they can um, they're much closer to the assets as one organization and can really push out uh, you know uh, responses um, to to the pandemics throughout their portfolios. So that's been interesting. I've certainly seen that across several monthly family shops um, who are. Uh, doing a really good job of letting their residents know that their their health is of utmost concern and, and responding appropriately and thus um, thereby creating, you know, potentially stickier tenancy down the road and the ability to kind of recover more quickly. So some things like that have been interesting to, to notice.
1: Is there such a thing as over communicating with investors at a time like this?
2: Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, you get a full inbox and, you know, some, some I don't read um, and but others I read every single time. So I think it's really people who do it well, um, you know, really do it well. And it's, uh, it's a combination of information and tone and, um, you know, hopefully you can write well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, um, it's true that tone, and tone is such a hard thing to get sometimes in email, especially when it's when you're communicating broadly. So, right, um, a really important skill right now.
2: Yeah, I particularly love. There's a couple managers out there who are producing kind of heat maps for their portfolios or their underlying holdings that just, you know, whether it's by economic sensitivity or particular COVID, you know, immediate COVID-related impact sensitivity or. Then even on a, you know, trying to look a little bit further out, kind of longer term COVID induced changes to, you know, demand what that might look like. And then they update those heat apps on, on kind of a uh, bi-monthly basis. That's been, you know, those are some of those visuals that people have been creative around have been terrific. Yeah,
1: yeah I, think, I think we all open whatever newspaper, you know, we read of choice and look at the heat maps for, you know, where the virus is. Right, um, doing doing that across one's portfolio, whether it's on the impact of the virus or the impact on the economy, um, yep. or some future prognosis. That's that's very interesting. Yep. Um, any anything you want to share that is a must not do, something that you know is would really be a turn off. Um, you know, looking back,
2: you know, I think just being transparent. You know, if if you're unwilling to share information or you're slow to share information you know, that that quickly moves from aggravation to, um, you know, to suspicion. <laughs> so I think, you know, that's, um, uh, you know, that that's a, a, a fairly qualitative kind of soft skill thing, but, um, you know, pretty meaningful at the, these kind of times.
1: And you know. one of the other things we're, we're hearing a lot about from folks is um, the impact of the investment on technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, ma- many managers have said to us, All that money that we've invested over over these years in technology, this is what it was for. Yeah. So they've had a relatively smooth, uh, seamless move to you know either working from home, property operations, right, uh, gathering data. Um, Have you seen that as a differentiator amongst managers, and has that become an important qualitative? a factor for you in, in kind of reviewing manager performance?
2: Yeah, you know, this goes back to my, my point about kind of the resilient organizations um, that, you know, are not just good investors, but they're good um, organizational managers, right, and are, are um, savvy enough to pick up their heads and look forward and invest in, the, in, the, in, in their organizations. Um, not only for today and tomorrow, but for um, the next year and so forth. And so I think, you know, the better managers, um, again, are those that have really strong cultures and are also, you know, have done things like technology um, investments to, you know, just continue to level up their operations
1: and um, their ability to, uh, you know, evolve. So Christy, I'll let you have the last word. Um, Would you like to provide advice for, investors and then maybe separately advice for managers um as we go forward here
2: um no i think my advice to everyone is you know just uh, keep calm and carry on um <laughs> take a walk have a glass of wine take a deep breath and we're
1: all in it together that's that's terrific advice keep calm and carry on and i and wear the crown on your head um, right if if you do peloton uh workouts, you, you know, there's one instructor who talks about <laughs> right. we're all royalty
2: and, and we're all a
1: family. So um, right. that does make me smile. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 um, I think that's excellent advice and appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Christy, for, um, for joining us today. It's such a pleasure speaking with you, Nancy. Um, take care.
0: That's all for this week's episode of Refi Radio's Innovations in Real Estate first i'd like to thank christy for sharing her insight on how she and makita are navigating this unprecedented time thanks as always to nancy lachine for the discussion we'd also like to thank park madison partners for working with refi on this podcast series for more information on the firm please visit their website at parkmadisonpartners.com this episode was produced and edited by peter benson with help from Samantha Rowan, Rudgali Sanatis, and myself. Theme music is by Jazzhar. Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Refi Radio, in partnership with Park Madison Partners. I'm Will Moyo. Until next time. <music>